Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Running Motorsport Magazine Show Midweek Motorsport News, Features, Special Guests and Analysis from the Experts Formula One Sports Car and Endurance Racing Rallying, Touring Cars and Bikes If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score It's on Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 45. Once a year, Tim gets that piece of music out. Would never have guessed. Uh, and well, <laughs> never have guessed. Uh, just after 8 o'clock, uh, Wednesday, and he said Thursday evening. Wednesday evening, and to prove we are live, there is football tonight, Tim. There is, and it's Morecambe 3, Manchester United 0. Manchester United under 21s, presumably. Now Morecambe 4, Manchester United 0. Still under 21s though. Sunderland beat Aston Villa under 21, 7-0 earlier on in the season. uh, Anyway, on a packed programme... Hello, Tim Gray, up in London. On a packed programme tonight. Also been a goal in Warsaw, Poland 1, Netherlands 0. All right, OK, we'll prove now we're live. Uh, On a packed programme tonight, Tim, up in London, we have what? Uh, We have all the usual features, plus some special festive ones, because Eve Hewitt will be here with her Christmas presents. Excellent. Uh, That's in the second hour of the show, after our big interview, which tonight is with Brian Herter. Oh, good. Uh, And we'll have some news. We'll have, uh, obviously, our favourite new feature for this year, which is Nick Damon's Formula One uh, team-by-team review of the Turkish Grand Prix. And lots, lots more. We really do have the stars on episode 45. You practised that, didn't you? Uh, let's take a couple of uh, bits of housekeeping before we move on. Not officially the start of Christmas until Eve's Christmas list feature has appeared on Midweek Motorsport. Now I'll have to get the Christmas tree up this weekend. Bit early, to be fair, Dave, who continues by saying, thank you all for a fascinating 25th hour from Haggerty. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the show and frankly could have listened to your guests for another hour or two. If only other branches of motorsport had that kind of pragmatism. John Doonan, president of IMSA, Doug Feehan and Mo Murray did an amazing job with you guys. Well, the good news is if you didn't see that on Monday, although you can watch it again if you want to on the Haggerty pages, we'll replay the audio from that directly after our show tonight. At Specutainment if you'd like to get in touch with us. First tonight, we start off with some very, very sad news. That Jim Pierce, the overall winner of the 1996 24 Hours of Daytona, has died, had died on Friday after contracting COVID-19. He was just 59. He uh, died uh, at, in the family home at Memphis. Uh, sorry, in Memphis, said his family. 
IMSA president John Doonan said, racer, teacher and loyal friend. Simple words to describe Jim Pace. All of us at IMSA are devastated by losing such a great champion. He was born in 1961 in Monticello in, in Mississippi and Jim began his racing career in the Barber Saab Pro Series in 1988. He moved to sports car racing and won the GTU class at the 1990-24 hours of Daytona. Uh, six years later, won overall with fellow driver Scott Sharp and Wayne Taylor in a Riley and Scott. He won the 12 hours of Sebring that year in the same car with uh, Wayne Taylor and Eric van der Poole and then took the, his third victory of that series at Texas World Speedway again with Wayne Taylor. It's shocking, said Wayne. Uh, he was probably one of the best teammates I ever had. Uh, also, Jim participated in the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 1996, again with Wayne Taylor and Scott Sharp. They finished 33rd. They had transmission problems. He was uh, such an inspiration to so many people and tried to pass on the knowledge that he had gained to many people, including the second generation of Taylor drivers. The Pace family have asked that any donations be made to the Wounded Warriors or Alzheimer's Research in his name. Jim Pace, who died of complications from COVID on Friday at just 59 years old. Our condolences to the family and all the many people in motor racing paddocks around the USA and around the world who would have called Jim their friend. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Let's move to the top story now. And uh, we have some breaking news. Tim Gray, breaking news. What's the breaking news? It's news about brakes. Okay. Uh, and, and how brakes affected the outcome of the FIA World Endurance Championship at the weekend. Joined now by our FIA World Endurance Championship correspondent, Johnny Palmer, who joins us live from quarantine. Good evening, Johnny. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, all. Uh, tell us what uh, happened and uh, why was the championship decided by brakes? Uh, well, we're talking about the GTE AM championship because there were four Aston Martins in the race, two of which were in pro, two in the AM category. And uh, somewhat of a surprise to Aston Martin Racing and their customer team, TF Sport, they needed to change brakes halfway or indeed right at the end for the 97 car, the final stop with an hour to go uh, through a, an eight-hour race when you consider the 97 car had actually done the whole of the 24 hours of Le Mans on the same discs. So there was a drama for all four Vantages. They hadn't certainly planned this. Uh, the 97 car was the last one in and it meant that 97 and 95, who had already secured the Manufacturers' Championship a couple of months ago at Le Mans, uh, finished fourth and fifth of six cars in the pro entry. But it was more concerning, far more gutting for TF Sport, who were running for the championship with the 83 AF Corsa crew of Emmanuel Collard, Francois Perodo, Nicholas Nielsen indeed led that trio, did Charlie Eastwood, Johnny Adam and Sally Yolich by eight points coming into the final round, but in the end lost the AM championship, both drivers and teams 
by 13 points because they finished eighth on the road of a 10-car class. So, um, yeah, not part of the plan. Temperatures blamed because the brakes were well out of their operating window. Uh, Bahrain is notoriously very hard on brakes as well, particularly when you're looking at temperatures, you know, high, high in the 20s and uh, in the day, peaking just into the 30s. So John Gore admitting this wasn't part of the plan. They're going to have to go back to ProDrive and to Gaydon and uh, investigate, try and solve this for future races. Bahrain is on the calendar for next year, let us remember. JP, uh, crack and work, you and Nick at the weekend. Um, what about LMP1, though? P1... Brakes weren't an issue. Uh, they only they run at, what, 878 kilos. So um, Toyota kind of bossed the race, although the safety car partway through made things interesting. Remember, success handicap was still a thing, although it was a refined rule because there were no other LMP1s in the, in the race. We, we knew that from quite a long way out from Bahrain. And there was a discussion with the officials and Toyota as to whether, do, do we see even still run success handicap? Would it be nice to see both Toyotas on an even keel? But Toyota said, this is the rule set we've been running from uh, in f since, not technically Silverstone, because success handicap has to have at least one race for it to be based on. But beyond Silverstone, every other race has had this tweak to the regulations in an effort to, to bring the privateer LMP1s up to a point where they might be able to beat Toyota, and that has happened this year as well. Um, so we were still in a situation where Toyota, the, the uh, eight car, was marginally slower per lap than the seven, to the tune of 0.54 of a second. But the seven car was entirely as it ran at Silverstone. So everything was taken off that. It could run at the same weight and all the same hybrid power. But we were always really only promised a, an eight car that, that could only get within half a second of that seven per lap. And so it proved, actually. You look at sort of halfway through when that safety car came out, the margin was about bang on right for that measurement scale. It, the, the safety car concertinaed everything up, but you kind of thought even with the best efforts of Sebastian Buemi and Kaz Nakajima and Brendan Hartley, they were never going to be able to win the race. And so it proved. So seven won it. And seven won the championship as well. So I was delighted for the seven that keeps missing out on the wins at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez, the latter becoming the only the third time that someone has won two completely separate FIA World Championships um, to the same name. The others being Fernando Alonso and... Nick Damon and Petter I were, Solberg. Yeah, exactly. Nick Damon and I were thinking, who was the other one? Who was the other one? But Petter Solberg, winner of, of uh, well, WRC. Nick Damon would never have remembered that because he hates rallying. He hates rallying, but he likes rallying cross because <laughs> they are actually racing he, people. He likes... Oh, I no, I don't know. I've dropped him in it there. I have got. I have no idea what his opinion is on rally cross. I'm sure he loves it. He doesn't think rallying is racing. And, he, and in, in point of fact, he's right because it's not side-by-side -side racing. But as I've always said, in rallying, you're competing Sometimes against the hardest competitor of, of... Well, that's true. Uh, against the hardest competitor of all, which is time. Yep, I agree. You're preaching to the converted with, with me, but uh, he's not having it one bit. <laughs> So yeah, well, P1. Well, uh, that's the that's the swan song of LMP1. We, we, yes. we might see some grandfathered cars next year, but uh, it ain't going to be the top class. And it's a shame we kind of had to go out with just two cars in the entry. They tried their best to provide a race, but in the end, one beat the other by over a minute. We'll we'll have you and Bruce talking about the season, the longest season ever of WEC in terms yeah. of time. Uh, Longer in, in even than our, super season. 
It was longer even wow. than the Super Season by some some margin. Um, I, I, in a later sure, but in terms of getting the, the season off, Johnny. Uh, in fairness, like many other series that we've talked about, um, the WEC Gerard Navarre, who by the way, nice, nice that Gerard and outgoing communications director Fiona Miller, the fragrant fee, uh, waved the green flags at the start of the race. But all of the team did a cracking job to get the season off. They did, because bear in mind, we started the season um, expecting it to be the same uh, or almost the same as the Super Season. Of course, Super Season was to align the WEC into a school year, as we were calling it, September through to June. And then... Uh, fairly late on it was the decision was made because of covid and other things too that it would be far better to marry the season back up to a calendar year and therefore we got the extension so we didn't go to sebring as we all know about uh, instead the circuit of the americas happened in uh, february and then there was a big big gap till the middle of august when there was Spa, then the following month Le Mans, and then two week two months after that uh, bahrain so we, we're back to the season entirely being enclosed in 2021 and just six races next year. Again, I think that's a sensible decision because the ground is very much still moving beneath the organisers. But all things considered, uh, incredible to get an eight-race calendar completed and uh, championships crowned. But basically, we've lost a whole season, haven't we? Uh, we've done two seasons that were a season and a half. So over the last three years, we've only had two seasons and two sets of champions. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it could be argued that way. Indeed. So, uh, but, but that, I mean, th- th- it, COVID has only had its say in the uh, partway through the last season that's just gone on. Um, th- you know, s- some people will have wanted th- us to go into a, that complex season that ran like Formula E across the winter period. Others mm. quite actually quite grateful for it to be making slightly more sense. For me, <coughs> you had the confusion about driver ratings as well. So a driver that started at Silverstone as a silver can take stayed as a silver all the way through the WEC, despite them being gold in other championships. And that's just stupidly complex and, and open as well for a bit of abuse. Because, you know, you put drivers that are gold in a WEC team as a silver and win championships off the back of it. Johnny, thanks very much indeed for that and indeed for all your hard work over the WEC, ELMS and Michelin Le Mans Cup season. You're tuned to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 15, Episode 45. Brody has EFAs tonight, Anniversary Tea and a movie this evening. I'll listen to the podcast tomorrow. RTL spending the evening with an unnameable family member. RTL, thoughts with you uh, and your mum. Uh, by the way, Alexander Orkin, no airfares this evening. Hopefully, multitasking, crusted cod uh, with mashed potato and broccoli uh, this evening. Uh, Oliver Giles. Too. Oh, yeah, really? Oliver mm. Giles uh, has done his personal best on a 10k run. Freshly prepared chicken salad with new potatoes while listening to Midweek Motorsport. Excellent stuff. And Kevin Payne is listening live on Glorious, Inglorious Stereo on two home pods this evening with an eye on the England-Iceland game, uh, though it doesn't mean anything. Well, other than the special offer on uh, Deep Frozen Greg's uh, pies and pasties in aisle four, obviously. And Daniel's Summersgill is listening on the way at the Durham course to Sunderland. Uh, so he, sorry, he's listening on the podcast when he drives up there this morning, uh, tomorrow morning, should I say. So enjoy all of 
that. Uh, still to come this evening, plenty. Absolutely loads, including the Haggerty 25th hour straight after this show tonight. A packed second hour we'll tell you about in a moment. Tomorrow night, of course, we've got the Toro Radio Show. And here's Creelsey to tell all of us what's going to be on On The Grid. This week on The Grid, after starring in an impressive 2020 debut season with Brad Jones Racing, Todd Hazelwood joins us. He's just confirmed his return to the team in 2021. So we thought it was a good time to get him back on the show to update us on his plans for the new year and much more. Dale has an F1 update, then the team chat about the ever-fluid state of play with supercars licences and who goes where in the ongoing silly season. That, and is Lewis Hamilton the best ever? Has that question ever been asked before? Yes, it has, but we'll ask it again anyway. It's your look at motorsport with a down-under perspective. Catch it at 9pm Thursday night UK time on RS1. Time for another of our regular features now, which means we need to introduce Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Because this is Nick Damon's team-by-team review of Formula One. Hooray! Team-by-team! So it was the Turkish Grand Prix at the weekend. Mm -hmm. Uh, Much much like Imola, um, we have to question why we've never thought about running European Grand Prix in November before again. Yes, I mean, it works so well. Uh, even though officially, apparently, they decided to say it was Asia, though I think it's it's kind of right on the uh, the cusp of the two continents. Yeah, it was it worked, worked well, didn't it? Brand new surface, freezing cold weather, a bit of rain, so it turned into um, ice racing. You kind of think Ivan Muller would be most likely to win this, wouldn't he? Uh, so let's go through the uh, result, uh, and as usual, we're starting at the back, which means we're starting with Alfa Romeo. Um, Alfa Romeo had a bit of a false dawn because come Saturday after qualifying they were both sitting in the top 10 for the first time evs um, so they, the cars obviously work quite well in the very difficult conditions I mean the, 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 there's going to be a lot about this within this review about switching tyres on and, and getting them into the temperature it was a very very difficult situation the tyres were working in areas they weren't really designed to do it's certainly temperature wise and obviously with the emulsifying goo coming up from the track the whole time it was adding to the excitement but anyway so both Antonio Giovinazzi and Kimi Raikkonen started in the top 10 and stayed there for precisely no time whatsoever um, and did the slip sliding down backwards and it was it was interesting that the you know the, the three uh teams in in the sort of the team c ended up at the back in the end they didn't that, it, these sort of crazy conditions would normally be a chance for one of the slower teams to pick up some points but nope in the end they all had problems giovinazzi was the only caused the only um uh, slowing of the race with the virtual safety car well, that was with a technical issue rather than a crash and keep right we still having a couple of spins and ended up in 15th place i don't know whether it was you know whether they feel it's a missed opportunity just one of those things but alfa romeo no points nil point in it was salba's 500th grand prix you know that competition last week they alfa romeo 500 gps it was just salba's 500 gp they weren't adding even adding the alfa races from the 50s onto that uh williams is next yeah, well, um, well, George Russell had um, a complete new engine to begin with, which meant that he, even though he, I don't know whether that keeps his qualifying record of beating Latifi up, because he did beat Latifi in time on Saturday, though they were both 
towards the back. But whether he, because he then got a grid penalty which stuck him to the back, I don't know how. I have no idea how the statisticians work. Anyway, Latifi was dreadful all weekend, absolutely awful, and there's no way of putting it. He was, you know, he was slow. He was off the track. He was off the pace. Just couldn't get the handle of a Formula One car with no grip. He's odd, really, because in Canada, which is hardly the the, uh, the centre of lovely weather. Um, Russell flattered to deceive during his first during the full work sessions after making a, um, uh, one of the errors that you know people laugh at most, which we actually managed to take the wing off his car going into pits. It was so slippy at the start of the race, before, sorry, before the start of the race, uh, and he didn't really go anywhere either. To be honest, after that, he just kind of. Um, uh, uh, just slowly slipped back after a relatively, relatively good performance. Effectively, he completely beat his teammate, which is all you can really do. Not a lot to separate the two Haas drivers this week either. Well, apart from the fact that Kevin Magnussen was a bit unlucky in that he had a botched pit. Well, he had a pit stop that was that they thought was botched, so they stopped him. So pass, you know, let the car go. Well, I think that rear right's on. So they stopped him. He pulled off in the grassy verge at the end of the uh, the pit lane. They had to wheel him back, and then I think they, they then found out the wheel was on properly in the end. So he got going again, but he lost. Obviously, I don't know, probably two minutes to two and a half minutes. Uh, and and the possibility, the outside possibility of a you know a, a point score, probably not, but but probably like eleventh or twelfth. So significantly away from Roman Grosjean, who did do the slip sliding, spinning away business. I mean, everyone spun. And I think it was just bad luck whether you got ISO'd on the cameras. Everyone saw it, but a couple of Roman Grosjeans uh, off tracks were shown. Um, I think you know Magnussen was was unlucky to be as bad as he was, but you know. They, they, they might have scraped a point if everything had gone their way, but everything didn't go their way. So, hey-ho. Uh, so, we move on to Mercedes. Very yes. early to be talking about them. Well, we're not really them, though, is it? What we're talking about is, at we're this talking point about Valtteri. is Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, so Bottas, um, well, he, he was a, he was looked the better of the two um, during very difficult practice sessions for Mercedes. Just couldn't get any heat into their tyres. Um, made an averagely to good start. Then the cars crashed in front of him, so he spun to avoid them. He put in the back of the pack, and as he was racing to get through the pack at the end of the first lap, he managed to hit Esteban Ocon, do some damage to his car, which he says affected the way it handled, and he had um, the steering wasn't straight going straight ahead. And it then resulted in him pirouetting six further times during the race and being lapped by Lewis Hamilton and everyone saying horrible things about him. But apparently it's all down to the fact this car was broken. Um, you'll be hearing this quite a lot during this uh, this uh, summation. So this is the first person who's claiming the reason he kept falling off the track and looked a bit silly was his car was broken. OK, Tim, got that? OK. What about uh, Alpha Tauri? Uh, we're not doing his teammate then. We're going to say it's the last, are we? Oh well, you can do his teammate if you want. But let's no, let's move let's... on to AlphaTauri. AlphaTauri. Well, AlphaTauri. Um, Pierre Gasly was beaten by Danny Daniel Kvyat by no distance whatsoever. I think by about a second in the end. And effectively, we complained the car was awful in these conditions. So it was obviously one of the cars that wasn't switching on its tyres. I'll be absolutely honest with you. Uh, I don't remember seeing them during the race at all. Um, so they have the most nondescript. Uh, formation finish where they effectively came in as the sixth best team uh, together at the same speed and probably just wrote this one off as just not a track for us. Uh, another formation finish came from Renault. Yeah, very bad weekend for Renault. The car was not significantly worse than anyone else. It wasn't particularly working well, which isn't that surprising as it prefers you know, the, the lower downforce circuits and obviously you know, you when you have this wet conditions, you want to get as much downforce on the car as possible to try and get some sort of um, 
uh, aerodynamic grip in the car when there's very little mechanical or chemical grip. Um, so they also uh, end up together. They say 10th and 11th. Um, Esteban Ocon had a very difficult first lap. He was kind of edged out on the, in the first corner. It wasn't really, we couldn't say, oh, it's his fault. It's one of those things happened. Then he got clunked by um, Valtteri Bottas. And definitely Bottas' his fault at the end of lap one. Um, and Danny Rick was doing okay till he spun. I think he was spun out of about sixth or seventh and then down to tenth. And then they really didn't have any sort of pace to make any of this up. So it just carried on going. Um, it was, um, yeah, it was quite difficult to put it mildly. Um, yeah, it's a, it, it, it just really, the, the biggest problem for Renault is the number of points that um, other people scored. Uh, Lance Stroll. Oh, we, we, we asked everyone up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Lance, well, that really is a tale of two days, isn't it? Um, Lance put the thing on, pop. the thing about Lance Stroll, he's very, very, very much maligned, but he's also in really, really good in the wet. He's always been good at the wet. So it's weird that a driver people are always a bit rubbish has the has the feel for the damp, which is normally the, um, the differentiator between the good and the great. And he really is an excellent wet weather driver. And he showed that in, in qualifying by nursing his car around to take pole position and, and, and thoroughly deserved um, for the Canadian. In the race, again, started really, really well, did you know, 26 laps at the front, and then it all went wrong when he stopped for his intermediate tyres and he melted them. Now, interestingly, um, Bracing Point issued a statement on Monday, I think it was, saying that the reason he had a problem was because he had some damage on his wing. His wing was damaged, which meant he had no downforce, a lot less downforce on one side. And uh, that meant because of damage, so this is the second person claiming damage route was the reason he faded miserably. So his damaged wing was why he faded miserably. I think he just overdrove his tyres. And if you look at you know his teammate, you know who's who's very soft on tyres, you could say that's that's just what happened. And again, it's and the tyres. But you know, it's, it's I suppose it's kind of a, a great weekend in some ways. But in the end, Lance Stroll, who should have had his reputation enhanced and perhaps lost some of this just a rich kid rep, ended up in many ways, in many eyes, being worse. But I think you know, I think overall it was a good week weekend for him but you know he had a bit of, he just got something wrong which was the way to initially run the uh, intermediate tires and he paid a very heavy price for it in a very difficult conditions traditionally he's not been a strong qualifier so he's changed that hasn't he where's well, the wet he's qualified well in the wet before he qualified well in the wet for williams back in um three or four years ago at monza he's just really really good in the way he's got a great feel for the car um you know, he's. This is the point about Lance. He's not a bad driver. I think he's. He's quick. He's. He's. His, Lance's problems are all in his mind. It's all his confidence and his ability to put it together. He, he lacks in dry weather qualifying. He seems to lack that that last nth to put it together. You know, over the, all the sectors in in a, in a lap. But then you take him to the wet, and he's just brilliant. So it's it's a, he's an absolute enigma on a number of levels. Uh, McLaren next. Um. Yes, McLaren. Um. Again, they were struggling all through um, Friday and Saturday, didn't qualify well. Um, and then they had, in the race, apparently done some work overnight about how they could, within the course of the fact that you can't change the setup, within about how you could improve the car, how you could drive it differently. And certainly Carlos Sainz, who made a good start, uh, put that into you know the normal Carlos Sainz efficient acts. And this is, a, this, is a, this is a typical good Carlos Sainz race where he just gets things going, hits his head down and... and you know, with others are losing their heads around him, pulls the, the best result he can out of it. You know, he's got a fifth, which is fantastic. Lando Norris made a terrible start. I think you know, he, he described it as the worst start by anyone ever, not just by him. Um, but the car came alive at the back end of the of the, the, of the 
the race. The last, I think, five laps, he set consecutive fastest laps of all, ending up, I think, with an overall fastest lap with 1.3 seconds faster than the next car. So something just switched on. The last few laps were Lando on the intermediates, and he was you know, getting hand over fist. He, managed, he only got to eighth. Uh, Carlos is fifth, but it's still a reasonable haul of points, considering you know, they are they are battling in that midfield pack against Renault, who did much worse. Racing Point did a little bit better, and of course the the resurgent Ferrari team, who still who are a long way behind. But I think you know they, they I think pretty certain the McLaren will be chuffed with Sunday as a rescue job from what looked like a difficult situation. Red Bull. Yeah, Alex Albon. Um, at one point it looked like Alex Albon was going to finally prove us all wrong, and um, you know put in a performance where he went like one or come second and everyone gone, well, this is amazing. Alex is back. He can have another contract for a year. But then he damaged his car. No, he didn't. He just spun. He didn't. He he he, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't get the damaged car um, excuse. Everyone else gets that one because obviously Red Bull won't even give him that. Um, yeah. So he then spun and he just faded back and he, I think he was politely asked to let his teammate pass after they'd done some after he'd spun been some spinning behind him. So and he ended up in seventh, which is disappointing. I think you know without the spin, he might have managed to get sort of fifth, possibly fourth. It's hard because the, 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 you know, it's not one of these sort of, it's not quite that simple because because you lose a bit of track position, it can mean you lose a huge amount of time, which you can't make up on the tyres because the tyres overheat. So that spin, which was quite innocuous, I think on turn four, I think it was, but lost him that position was was probably much more serious and than it you know, much more um had meant more consequences it would normally so he's a little bit unlucky but again he had a great chance and he stuck it in the bin um i think we get to, this is this is we get down to max verstappen and max verstappen to me is the absolute most most important thing we learned about the race we learned about max verstappen and you know we didn't, yeah. You know, we, we'll talk about the winner who did what the winner does, and we'll talk about you know the man who came second in the penalty. But Max Verstappen, we've been saying all year, Max Verstappen's been brilliant. Yeah, you know, he has been putting that car where it should be. But this was indicative of the problem that Max has, and this is why I think that the the Max fanboys really have to kind of have a quick look at themselves. I think you know, is he really that good, or is he really that ready? Everything Max has done over the last few years has been without any pressure. There's no pressure when you think that when the Mercedes are guaranteed to win in their minds and he's, he's the plucky underdog, the plucky young underdog who's, who's, the, who's the future of F1, who's picking up these wins and picking up these pole positions at the races where Red Bull has a slight advantage or, or, or less disadvantage, should I say, or where Mercedes dropped the ball. And he's done it all with no pressure. You know, you know, he's so much so that when he, you know, he makes a mistake, going, oh, that's fine. He's just got, got, got to go for it, got to make it up. Well, here he was just dreadful and there's no other way to put it and i think that's because he suddenly thought he should win and i think he suddenly put the pressure on himself and there were team expectations that this time we're going to win mercedes have absolutely got nowhere in this race he went into qualifying expecting to be on pole um didn't get it was visibly distraught about not being on pole in the race he made a bad start and then he showed all the worst traits of Max Verstappen: impatience and inability to judge the correct time to our situation to get past things. His, his attempt, he, he, you know, his attempt to get past uh, Perez or even follow Perez, which resulted in the big spin of France, but it was just stupidity. He was never going to get past there. Yeah, you know, he threw himself into a wall of spray, 
it means you never know what's going to happen next when you can't see there's 10,000 litres of, of water being pumped over you. And then he spun off. And then he got his next set of tyres. And they cooked the next set of tyres. I mean, already he had an unfortunate spin when Raikkonen sent him off as well. But effectively, he ended up in sixth place when he should have won the race. That car should have won. And Max didn't win it. And it's interesting that he has this lack of ability to accept that he's made a mistake. You, you asked what happened at the end of the race. Max Verstappen said, oh, I was unlucky. No, you weren't unlucky. You drove badly. You look at Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc made a mistake, was, full, was take it on his chin. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to blame myself you know, and everything else. Then we have Max Verstappen come out I think, yesterday saying, oh, well, of course, the reason I had a problem was because I also had a problem on the car, Tim. He's the third person. His wing was slightly out of alignment. So that was why he was struggling. Cool. There is a complete lack of ability within the Red Bull and Max Verstappen camp to actually ever say anything is Max's fault. Now, you know, and that and it's that is damaging on a number of levels. It, he's, he's not getting on his maturity and he's not learning as fast as he was. Because I, you know, even now, you know, Lewis Hamilton's learning every race. He's studying data. He's working out where he's doing wrong. If you can't admit you've made a mistake, how can you learn from it? And I've never heard Max admit he's made a mistake. He says, I was unlucky. Things didn't go my way. What can I do? The fact was, he drove poorly during the race. He was overdriving the car because he thought he could win. And we've seen that before. And he just gets in this mindset of arrogance. And this is why when people say, oh, well, you put Max Verstappen in Mercedes and he would definitely be a world champion. Well, it's, no, he wouldn't. Because the point about it is, we said before, that in F1, the difference between the good and the great is in the mind. And if you've got no pressure, it's very easy to drive very fast. As soon as you've got pressure, that's when things come in. And so far, whenever he's had pressure, Max Verstappen has failed to come up to the mark. Now, I think it's just basic immaturity. And I think that, that is something that we may see immediately. He's done six years in 116 Grand Prix, but he's still a young man at 23. And I think the mollycoddling he gets from, from Red Bull doesn't help either. If you're, yeah, if you're, if they're so frightened to criticise him that he's not learning anything. And, and he... And he's, he, just see him doing what he does every day. Oh, it's fantastic. Max is amazing. He's come third. Well done, Max. You've come third. Or you've managed to get past a car that was injured like he did in uh, uh, Imola. Yeah, but what is he actually doing? All he's doing is beating a teammate who's also underperforming and in a car and a team that's been designed around him. So what is Max? Where is Max really? Is Max really the next great, great hope for, you know, top of the Or is he really just overhyped? And I think... It, this is the first indication that actually Max hasn't grown at all in the last couple of years. He's still doing what he did before, which is being blisteringly quick in a car with no pressure. Put pressure on him, and I think he, I think he felt a bit miserably this weekend. But then he wasn't prepared to take it on the chin and admit it, and that's the problem. Nearly a decade since the last Turkish Grand Prix, and only three drivers. Uh, on the grid at the weekend had taken part in that one uh, yes. and yet they're the three who were on the podium <laughs> yes i think that just goes to say i think it's more it's just more the experience isn't it you know they're the three three of the most experienced drivers and that and this is when experience comes in in tricky conditions i mean obviously next up is is ferrari and and, and i think it was it was really very heartening to see Sebastian. It's funny, really, because I've never been the greatest fan of Sebastian Vettel recently. Because I think he's been throwing things away, and he's he's also had a little issue in, in admitting his own mistakes. So he does seem to have got a little bit more um, open this year. But it was really nice to see Matt, see Sebastian back up there again and driving well, you know, and and and, and you know, driving at a decent speed, initially holding Lewis up and then pulling away from Lewis as he worked out where his tyres were, and 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 really finally putting a race together the first time this year. I mean, Charles Leclerc came from a long way back and then and powered the way through and again showed why he is the future for Ferrari. I mean, Vettel 
did a good job but obviously i think the, the, the that relationship was broken down to the extent where you know i don't think they're necessarily working but work optimizing things for each other anyway but fettel managed to get the car to work for him in the work conditions uh leclerc caught up um in the last lap you know, had a battle with uh, perez which involved him getting ahead for a second then losing it and dropping down to fourth in which he you know i think he he's 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 the opposite of max which he takes too much blame on himself you know he said oh it's the most worst thing i've ever done i was thinking no it's not really you you're going for it it's good to see you've you've admitted your mistake and good to think you're going to learn from it but it's not you know it's not the worst thing anyone's ever done charles it was just a it was a it was a, a you know it was a tricky conditions you were looking to try and cement a, a guy in the last lap but it was that fettel came through with a steady head and you know again he was quite realistic you know he wasn't the greatest driver of his life but he you know he he got the points and they're very welcome points for ferrari as they try and not finish sixth in the world championship which would be particularly embarrassing and of course, it's quite nice for Sebastian to point out the one time a team had done well was the first time this year that uh, Mattia Bonato was not there. And I think he enjoyed getting that little dig in because that's obviously the relationship that's really dead within Ferrari is uh, Sebastian and Mattia. And, you know, and then they've got a few, only three more races to go through this uh, perjury. But of course, it was good news, particularly for Racing Point, who will become um, Aston Martin next year, to see that he's still got it because you kind of wonder after a while. You know. But as they always say about footballers, you know, Form is temporary, class is permanent. And I think that's probably true as well for Sebastian. Now, I don't think he's at the same heights he was in 2013. He can still turn it on when there's a chance. Uh, so we've got our top two, Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, Sergio Perez, um, also known as Sergio, I haven't got a job next year, uh, comes in with second place, equaling his best result ever from, um, I can't remember, it was one of the races in 2012, 2012, I think, where he came second a long time ago. Um, but Perez, again, effectively went out there, saved his tyres, did, 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 did his tyre whispering. And when the point came of, do we take another set of intermediates or not, um, Lance Stoyer's teammate needed to because he'd been a bit heavier on them. He went in earlier. Sergio saw this wasn't really working very well for um, for Lance and decided not to take them. They managed to just about eke them out to uh, lap 58, so much so that he, he, he reckoned he only had one lap more. No, no dramatic stuff. I've got one lap more, one lap more. And I'm, but no, it was, it was dramatic stuff. But he did do a fabulous job. Second place, uh, lots of points for um, Racing Point in their constructors' battle, which is obviously worth a huge amount of money. And another point saying, look, I have kept the car on the island. I've driven it really, really well. I've, I've eaten my tyres out. Hello, I'm second. And Alex Albon has thrown it off the road again and come seven in, in, a, in what is to be a fastest car. Hello, Christian. Are you going to actually do, make a decision at some point to you know, take someone outside the Red Bull programme in an attempt to support Max Verstappen, who is your wunderkind, uh, to become world champion? And that's, you know, another team. Yeah, you know, Max Verstappen won't take any uh, any blame for anything he does. And, and, and Red Bull are in transit in the way they, that they run their team. You, you kind of see them, a number of structural issues in that team, which is probably the reason why. And those structural issues in Red Bull, I think, have been there for probably since 2010, the Turkish Grand Prix, when Vettel wiped out um, Mark Webber. But because he was a golden boy, Helmut Marko wouldn't blame him. And... You know, that they destroyed that relationship with Weber and Multi-21 and everything else. And they've never really been able to manage drivers. And despite having a a, a succession of excellent drivers, let a number of them go, most obviously being Carlos Sainz and you know, lost um, Ricciardo because they, they, those drivers didn't feel they had a chance to shine at Red Bull because someone else was favoured. And, you know, is something rotten in the state of Red Bull? Well, it's been a very long time since they've been a championship challenger with the amount of money they're spending. They've managed to annoy various engine suppliers. They haven't really played the PR game too long. And they and, and they are 
kowtowed to by the press far too much. And I think they, they, if anyone needs a root and branch, look at why they're not successful and look why Mercedes are successful. And it's not down to the engine. It's down to the structure of the team and, and how you even down to how you run your drivers. Um, you know, and I think that that, 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 that perhaps I'm not sure there's necessarily a turning point. I mean, perhaps this year might be a turning point. You know, with, and, and they need to think about why we aren't winning. And the reason they're not winning is not the horsepower in the car. It's how they run the team. Uh, and we crowned a champion. We did. And, well, you know, the good thing about Lewis Hamilton is everybody knows the only reason he wins any races, the only reason he wins any races is because he um, is the best car. And that's it. Just the best car. And he doesn't have any talent. And everyone knows that. Or flip side, he is the greatest driver of his generation, has won seven world championships, 94 Grand Prix, and we are very privileged to see a master at work, and I'm in camp B there. I mean, this is fantastic, because you, you watch the race, Lewis qualified sixth, um, got up to third, slid off the track, dropped down to sixth, got stuck behind Sebastian Vettel, but what he didn't do was what, you know, a Max Verstappen would do, which is panic and start moaning and trying to get round and working out what's going on, and, oh god, I can't do He just waited for the race to come to him, he knew that it was, he just had the experience, and then when he got the uh, the advantage, he just then made the tyres work. He is he is by far the best driver on the grid. There's no there's no you know it's not it's not like you know I'm not saying every race he's the best driver, but every, over a season he is by far the best driver because he can turn it on every weekend in every condition every single time, and that is why people build their team around him, and that is why. A very, very talented racer in Valtteri Bottas is made to look ordinary, not just today, but in general in general weeks, because he's up against an all-time great. Now, I'm not going to say he's the GOAT, because that's completely impossible to judge, because you can't judge across eras. But you certainly can just say that of the racing drivers active at the moment and in this generation, Lewis is the best. And if you ever want to know why, I'm not saying necessarily just look at this race, but look at this season. You know, he's now won. The, the races he hasn't won, he's had a penalty um, in a couple of them, one from uh, starting from the pit lane, one from uh, for going into the pits erroneously, one for an error, his, his error, absolutely, on uh, in a yellow flag in Austria, and the other time his tyres disappeared, but he still managed to beat his teammate. And he's won all the rest. It's like, uh, you know, you sit there going, that's just amazing, because it's, it's, yes, the car's good, but then someone has to sit in it and drive it, and if you look at the quality that he brings week in, week out, and the way he's melded that team to work with him, and that's what it's all about. Again, if you, if you want to look at a reason why Mercedes is successful and Red Bull aren't, and say Ferrari aren't, you don't actually look at the drivers. You need to look at the team. But the point about the team is it's focused around a driver they know they can work with and trust. And, you know, it was fitting that he managed to, you know, win the World Championships a win with one of his better wins. You know, he has won World Championships recently with finishing ninth, I think, in Mexico a couple of years ago. And, he is, you know, he is one of the greats of all time, and and you know, I also think you know he's he's he, he you know, he's managed. It's interesting. The other thing I'll say is interesting. With this whole talk about contracts and will Lewis stay or will Lewis go, you know, he's been talking a lot in the weeks leading up to this about you know he wants to do more for you know um, causes and equality and, and Black Lives Matter and and, and the things that he cares about. You go to think, oh, okay, perhaps he you know, perhaps he is thinking of just dedicating himself to doing that as a as a full time job. But when you saw the the emotion and the joy that he's experienced in, on both in the race and on social media, it's pretty obvious that racing still means more to him than anything else. So I yeah, I don't think there's any, any doubt that he'll be in the sport for another two or three years. And and you know we should appreciate seeing a master at work. Yes, you might not personally think he's the greatest person you might not personally agree with 
you know, the way he presents himself with his, you know, but the fact about it is he is still the consummate racing driver of his generation. And, you know, let's enjoy it because, you know, we'll, we'll get to a situation with perhaps with like MotoGP, we've got a lot of tuggers going around and we're trying to try not to win championships. Now, there were only 58 laps in the Turkish Grand Prix. Yes. So which driver did 74 laps in a Formula 1 car on Sunday? Oh, that's a very good question. Obviously, someone who was testing one. So I'm going to guess Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso at Yas Marina is correct. He also did 116 on Monday. Yeah, and they had Guangying Zhou there as well, didn't they, at some point? Um, yep, he's doing a, he's doing an intensive uh, test program. Um, Lance Stroll-esque, in fact, his, his test program uh, with a two-year-old Renault, which is absolutely allowable. You're allowed to drive a two-year-old car. I can't remember, but that wasn't a particularly good or bad car. It was kind of a middle, middle packing car, wasn't it? The two-year-old one. Mm-hmm. Uh, just getting up to speed with engineers, getting back up to speed with the physicality and obviously things like the, uh, the processes and the uh, um, steering wheels and that sort of stuff will be will be he'll be able to learn. So yeah, it's just getting, they're just getting him up to speed. So, you know, be interesting to see what he can do. I don't think he'll have lost any, any much of his pace. I mean, he's obviously he's pushing 40, but that's very young to me. And it is, yeah, at that age, the, 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 the decline in racing drivers is, is mostly, you know, desire and motivation uh, rather than, you know, you don't need to be a 22 year old athlete. You might do to be a top swimmer, to be a, a motor racing driver because experience is is so much more important than than and, and the actual physicality you, you need to use has not declined that much. So you know, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing him back in the back in Grand Prix next year. And uh, with the young driver tests uh, approaching, Williams have announced which two young drivers they're going to put in their car. Have they? I I have not seen this. Who have they gone for? Uh, they've chosen their uh, official test driver Roy Nissany, mm-hmm. uh, and their official reserve driver Jack Aitken. It wasn't very hard, was it? I mean, Roy Nissany, I know, is 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 actually, you know, whilst his dad was not very good, but he's not too bad, Roy. I mean, he's not he's not F1 quality, but he can do the test driving. He's had a couple of reasonable results in F2. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's a lot less bad than I thought he would be. So uh, that's okay. And Jack Aitken also has been uh, doing a lot of, has done reasonably well in F2. I think neither of them are going to go anywhere near F1 unless one of their parents won the lottery and won a billion pounds. But, you know, I'm sure they'll be able to give the feedback that uh, Williams need. Uh, that young driver's test is on December the 15th. Is it just a day then? It's just one just day? Just one day. They've had to oh, compress fine. it because obviously the season is much compressed. Yeah. Uh, oh. And uh, we'll wait and see which uh, other drivers teams decide to run. Yeah, they're just not letting... The, the, the other teams are really not letting Lando... Nor- uh, sorry, they're not letting um, Fernando Alonso run, are they? They've decided they, he's not a young they driver. Have, they oh. have decided that a young driver is not restricted by age, but by experience. So... If you've done more than two Grand Prix starts, uh, then you're not uh, eligible for this test. Ah, okay. Uh, let's move on to the safety car. Yes, because it's safe, and it's going to be. They're going to start alternate. Well, this is. The, are they going to replace it, or are they going to alternate it? What is? What are your sources saying, Tim? Mine. I've had alternate. two different sources. Yes, that's, that's that's what I heard as well. Because they're going, obviously the Mercedes, um, various Mercedes have been in the safety car since 1996 when they replaced a selection of completely inoppor- uh, uh, inappropriate machines that were just supply- supplied by the tracks from, you know, Renault Clio's downwards. I mean, I remember the famous ones were those, um, the Tatters that used to be the Hungarian Grand Prix. And Charlie obviously... Whiting used to say such nice things about the Renaults. Did he? No. No, no he really didn't. No. Um, and so they, in 1996, they, they actually, Mercedes 
started supplying various AMG machines. They, they, they began to get official safety car drivers and medical car drivers. And that has continued now for 24 years. And then every year you get to see some super fast um, Mercedes AMG device all, all stickers up. Well, as of next year, the, the, the spark money is the, the safety car will alternate. Um, they said because it's 23 races. I'm not sure that's particularly a reason for it because they just stick the car in a crate and fly it out. So it's not really affect that too much um and it's going to be aston martin who are going to get the uh, the other the uh, the the races the other races i assume what you're going to do you need you, you, what will be is that they'll be choosing races where they think they'll be like the, you know when they choose races between uh, they used to choose race united between um channel four and uh, uh sky yeah yeah and they, and they you get maybe your first choice and they say so you, you try and choose the races which are exciting and you wouldn't choose you know, you would never choose Barcelona. Well, obviously, I suppose they're going to try and choose a race where they think there's going to be safety car action, aren't they? They look at the cars where there's the most chaos to get your car on telly, because it's no point being the safety car like this weekend when there was no, when safety car was never called out. So uh, yeah, so Aston Martin will be doing half the race. I mean, it's not exactly like Mercedes are giving up, because don't forget Mercedes own 20% of Aston Martin now, and a lot of the Aston Martin. Well, that's part of this agreement, isn't it? That uh, Mercedes. Uh, increasing their stake to 20% of Aston Martin is part of the deal to bring Aston Martin to the safety car. Yeah, and also, of course, they, they, they um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's a, sorry, they, they, of course, with Aston Martin wanting to uh, give extra promotion for their, for their rejoining F1 as a works team, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I can't see the problem. I mean, I, mean, I assume Bert Mylander will get to drive both of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good use of extra PR and it's a good chance for Mercedes because, of course, Mercedes, a lot of the, the Astons have AMG engines in them anyway. Uh, lightly Vettel and that's it. So, yeah. Whose telephone has gone very quiet? Uh, Nico Hulkenberg's. Yes. Yes, because he, he there's only one seat available, which is which is Red Bull, and it, all the money now appears to be it's either going to be Alex Albon or Sergio Perez. So it looks like Nico's going to miss out and... I'm sure what he'll be doing is be having a very long, hard stare at his dad over Christmas, asking why he's not a billionaire to buy him a team. As there will, of course, be three of them on the grid next week, next year, with um, Nicholas Latifi, uh, Nikita Mazapan. You heard it here. Well, not first. You heard it here. And Lance Stroll. So, um, yeah, three billionaires' children in F1. And finally, mm-hmm. uh, what is Formula Formula One driver? Roberto Kubica going to do next year? Roberto Kubica? This is the Italian brother, is it? Yes, Robert <laughs> Kubica. What's he doing next year? Well, he was doing. He did. He did obviously F one. He, he's he's reserve driver for for Alfa Romeo this year, and he's also done DTM. And of course, DTM is not the same next year. Is he going back rallying? In yes, a, he in a, is. Yes. Really? Like, has he not learned anything? <laughs> was he European rallies? Uh, he hasn't said where, but uh, yeah, the indications are that he will uh, return to World Rally Championship. That's uh, that's what we're hearing. Okay, brilliant. Well, uh, Nick Damon, uh, yes, you'll be back with us next week on Midweek Motorsport. Of course, I will. I, I wouldn't miss it for the, I wouldn't miss it for the world. And uh, also next week, there's a special program that you're involved in, isn't there, with uh, Declan Brennan, which is a review of the 2020 World Superbike Championship. We have it all arranged in our diaries. If we record it in time, it'll be on next week. <laughs> Fantastic. Nick Damon, thank you very much. Cheers, Tim. That'll be going out, actually, uh, after next week's Midweek Motorsport. Uh, and, and I've got to be traffic cop. 
uh, for that, which I'm I'm looking forward to. Nick Damon with uh, the look you back. Got Joe Bradley, he's done that before, I'm sure. Uh, uh, do you know what? Probably not. No, no, Bradley. I'd spec your tournament. Uh, Serafina, uh, Chris Suku, Stephen Gardner, all looking forward to the Christmas ideas coming up from uh, our own Christmas Eve later on. That's in uh, the second half of tonight's programme. Tim, where, where do would you, you like to go to next? No, where do you want to go to next, John? I'd like to take you back uh, a couple of weeks to the Walter Hayes trophy and the awful accident that we reported here on Midweek Motorsport. Colin Turner... Uh, with life-changing injuries. I'm delighted to say that joining us now to talk about Colin and indeed Colin's recovery uh, is Duncan Vincent. Uh, Duncan, first of all, uh, congrats on a great season for yourself uh, and the team on the the WEC. Um, Welcome back uh, to the the British Isles and to God's country uh, of Scotland. Uh, Tell me a little bit about Colin Turner. I've met him a couple of times. He, he strikes me as a as a proper character, but he's such a big-hearted bloke from everybody I've spoken to in the Formula Ford world and, and beyond. He's touched so many people's lives. Yeah, th- thank you very much, first of all, John. Um, you hit the nail on the head there, Colin. Fantastic guy. Big-hearted guy, but just a little guy. Um, and a club racer at heart, Formula Ford through and through, loves his racing and... It's just really sad for what's going on, but um, huge heart and a massive, massive faith as well, which is really pulling him through this. And if you're a, if you're a plane person like I am, you'll know what a Jaguar is, um, RAF fighter plane. Uh, he flew the Jaguars for a while, and he was also the munitions instructor and expert on those planes as well. Laterally, a commercial pilot and generally an all-round good guy. From the borders of Scotland, from the Dumfries area of Scotland, um, he did spend a little time in Portugal, but recently come back. And I talked him into doing a little bit of race at Knock Hill this year. Uh, he got his Formula Ford together, he got ready, and he, he joined the, the Knock Hill Motorsports Club. Went away, had some fun, and um, unfortunately, what happened at the Walter Hayes happened. He went away with Neil Broom uh, and the rest of the guys, and and a, a big, big, pa- big hands up to Neil Broom as well for this, because it's Neil who set the, the just giving page up uh, for Colin, which is uh, which has been really well received by everybody. Um, but yeah, Colin is in hospital down south. He um, he's he's got a Facebook page going actually as well. It's called Colin's Virtual Living Room. Search for that on Facebook and and please Brilliant. get get involved, add yourself to it, and he's on it daily. He wakes up every morning and puts a post on it. And, you know, he wants to hear what people are doing in their lives as well. So he's very much not shut away. He's, uh, he's looking for, um, he's looking for what am I saying, entertainment and, uh, and, you know, a bit of chat. A bit of normality, I would have thought, yes. as well. What's the word, Duncan? I mean, it's going to be a long road back. Uh, he's, he's lost part of both of his legs. So it's going to be yeah. a, a long road back, not insurmountable. Thank goodness. Medical science uh, is, yeah. is wonderful nowadays. And, and by the way, massive, massive thanks to, to everybody who was on hand at Silverstone uh, to to uh, get Colin out of the car, get him stabilised uh, and into the situation that he is now. But, but what's the what's the prognosis as far as you're aware? Well, first of all, correct the medics and the rescue unit on the day. Thank you very much. Effectively saved Colin, saved Colin's life. Um, got him out of there. Got him away to hospital pretty quickly. Um, both lower legs, um, one above the ankle um, and one just a little bit further up as well. So he's he's in a he's in a bit of, bit of trouble there, obviously. 
Um, but there will be sort of help from all the way through. He will look at prosthetics and that will come along. The issue he's got just now, John, is a, a back issue because there were some vertebrae broken, the sternum as well, um, there were certain fingers, and he had a bit of a, a, a bit of a head injury going on as well. But um, the big issue for Colin just now is, is his back. But hopeful, as we all are, that he will make a, a pretty strong recovery for, from this and we will have Colin... Um, whether he wants to get back into more sport, who knows what's happening, you know, who knows what can happen these days, um, mm. the technology, the advances that can actually happen to people, but we'll definitely have him back at racetracks, that's 100% sure. You said something earlier on that, that really resonates with me. Um, we all know that motorsport is dangerous, it says it on the back of every ticket when you go to a, yeah. a UK motorsport event. When I apply for my licence, there's always the big thing in the mm-hmm. triangle, Exactly, exactly the same. When something like this happens uh, in professional motorsport, it's headline news and uh, everybody's talking about it. This is club racing, but this is yeah. the very essence of our sport. Uh, and I'm, I, I want to make sure through Midweek Motorsport and through our collective that this doesn't fall, fall out of people's consciousness. Because if we can't look after people like Colin in our sport, then, you know... We haven't got a sport really because this is absolutely where our sport starts. Yeah, well, as you as you know, John, I'm lucky enough to to travel around with the World Endurance Championship. Um, the first thing that Alan McNish said to me when I saw him was, "How's Colin? What's the update?" And and the same when I got to Bahrain and I met Paul DeResta. Paul said he pulled me aside and said, "How's how's Colin doing? What's what's the new, what's the deal?" And you know, it goes all the way. It's all the way. It's not just the Scottish people as well. You know, I was looking at the just given page here. Derek Warwick's just gone and put money in. Martin Brundle, Mark Blundell. The list is endless. And it's it's so nice to see that people recognise the club racer because that's what Colin is through and through a club racer. I pinned it to the top of my, my Twitter feed. So, you know, I, I, if I could ask people out there, if they could if they could do the same, if you can find the tweet, if you could pin it to the top of your feed for, for a day or two or for a week just to keep that, Keep it out there in the public eye, the public interest, because, you know, he's honestly one of the nicest guys you would ever meet. And you're lucky enough to have met him, John. Yeah, and and listen, if you've got 10 minutes, everybody, go to the Just Giving uh, page. We'll tweet that all out on, on the Twitter page. It's also pinned, by the way, as an announcement on the Radio Show Limited Listeners Collective. So it's right, right at the top of there. Take 10 minutes to scroll down and see... Mm-hmm the sort of people who you will know, loads of people you've never heard of, but also something that caught my eye, the uh, the Toyo Tyres Canadian Formula Ford Championship through 100 quid at it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that tells me that at least we're getting the story story out, Duncan, and that's exactly what yes. has to happen. I mean, they will they will never have met Colin, but, you know, because it's, it's a Formula Ford's a family, and but outside that, motorsport's a family as well, so... It's great to see it it's getting pushed out there, and that, that that's so important, John. I've got to thank you guys very much for um, for doing this, and you know, giving giving Colin and, and everything a little bit of awareness. And I'm pretty sure he'll be listening. So, Colin, um, if you need that food parcel, if you want that Lefroy, just just give me a shout. It's not it's not a problem. Yeah, and I, I mean, he stuck down the wrong side of Hadrian's wall as well. So, I mean, I can... <laughs> 
it's it's something when Scotland and, and England are all coming together. So he's, yeah, the unity that that we're seeing here from from Colin. I've got a foot in in both uh, of those camps with my uh, Scottish relatives as well. Uh, so I, I know the rivalry rivalry there. <laughs> we wish Colin all the best. Can't let you go though, uh, Duncan. And thank you for coming on for for helping keep. Get Colin Turner's story yeah, cool. in the news, and we'll and we'll do that. We'll keep do a couple of updates over Christmas and New Year. And by the way, Duncan and I have spoke, spoken about this before. We understand how hard it is for everybody at the moment, and how much you've been asked to give to various causes. But if you're a motorsport fan and you're listening to this show because you are, this one, please get behind. Yeah. Get behind this one. Um, let's talk a bit about Knock Hill. Um, yeah. Because clearly, you know, you you're inextricably linked with uh, with up there uh, as well. Tough tough 2020, but squeezed a lot of motorsport <laughs> into a few months. And how's 2021 looking? Let's have a bit of positivity. Yeah, 2021. Uh, it looks it's look, looking good, John. We've got the the two dates confirmed for the super bikes and the touring cars. Tickets will go on sale for that. They're late enough in the year that where's wood? Touch wood that we should have um, spectators back because. You know, the, the amount of messages that we get for people who just want to come and see motorsport. And you know what it's like, John, you're going to events like I am. And the, the racing's good, the, the pit lane's good, the paddock's good. But then you look over the other side and it's it's eerily quiet, isn't it? And it's it just doesn't feel the same. But yeah, fingers crossed we get, we get crowds back in. This year was, obviously, the handbrake went on at March and then it came released around about July. We had our first race meeting in August. August, September, October, November, we kind of crammed in as much racing as we possibly could for our competitors who were wanting to go racing. And now the the big future, the looking ahead is is for 2021. So we're, we're confident it's going to be a good year. And, you know, we still do driving experiences as well. So if people want to want to get a Christmas voucher, you know, if you want, you can go into the Nokia website. You could use the code. Here's a code, right, John? Duncan10. Duncan10 will give you 10% off anything at Nokia even for you, John, okay? Uh, uh, and, and that's really important that you do that because all of those discounts actually come out of Duncan's pocket. So, <laughs> yes. you know, uh, frankly, uh, you know, getting him to, to put some money down, uh, uh, Duncan 10 on Knock Hill. How easy or difficult is it? On oh, serious note, I'm having a joke there. Um, <laughs> serious note, how easy or difficult is it to run events, even driving events, experience days, etc. Um, with the current situation and, and, and what consideration has to be made to, to things like protocols in pit lanes, making sure everything's clean, et cetera, et cetera? Well, one thing we're quite good at doing at Knock Hill is adapting and, and, and making things work. Uh, as you know, pit lanes are big areas, so there's there's easy there's easily social, social distancing for people to do. Um, the whole arrival process has changed, though. We used to get everybody out, would come to Knock Hill, we would sign them on in the Canaires Bistro, and then we'd take them into the media centre for a group briefing. That can't happen now. It's as simple as that, you know. And, and that was one of the big things that was always good fun for me as an instructor, to be talking to a group of 20, 25 people who are going to go on the track. So it all happens in advance now. We, we would send them a briefing out, and the, the briefing's electronically done. It's, I think it's either myself, I done one, or Gordon Shedden is doing, doing one as well. So people sit there in their house and they watch this briefing. They arrive there in their cars. They park up in special bays. They don't leave the car until one of our guys goes to get them. And then they're taken down to the pit lane where they're showing the areas to stand in. And the cars are all sanitised. We've got great um, partners at Knockhill. Autosmart, um, Grant Grant Purdy Autosmart is is just fabulous. The the, the sanitising stuff that we get. 
for cleaning the cars. They're cleaned before every customer and after every customer. And, you know, it's they were never dirty in the first place, John, but it's something that you have to do now. Yeah. You, know, you have to do that. Helmets as well. Everything's properly sanitised. And it's it's a lot of work, but it's what's got to be done. And, yeah, Knockhill have really stepped up. The COVID protocols that we've got in there, the COVID guidelines. Go into Knockhill's Facebook, you'll see Gillian Shedden doing a, a COVID guarantee. And that's for your, your vouchers that you're buying. You know, we, we will work around you. We will deal with how you want to come to Knockhill. We won't say your voucher's got, you know, it's going to end in a month. There's 18 months on vouchers now. It's a much, much longer period for people to use that voucher. And don't forget that code, Duncan10. Duncan10 for 10% off. Thanks very much indeed. Enjoy what off-season there is. And will you please, next time you speak to Colin, pass on all of our very best wishes to him. I will, buddy. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Midweek Motorsport. And don't you dare switch off now, because the next hour's going to be even better. Well, you, you know, easy for Mark to say that, but, you know, we can only Very do true. our We've got the stars we turning up on our, our stars in 45 show in the second hour. Uh, by the way, I, I think Colin is listening at the moment. All the best, fella. Uh, and keep us involved with what's going on. Uh, still to come, uh, HPD on winning two championships. Ted Klaus will be talking to us. Uh, we've got Eve's Christmas present. Your tweets on at Specutainment uh, and, oh, yes, Brian Herter next, if the technology works, here on Midweek Motorsport, Series 15, Episode 45. We're live on a Wednesday night from a very dark England. Oh, goodness. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Delighted that joining us now uh, on the line is Brian Herter from Brian Herter Autosport. Brian, first thing I've got to do is say congratulations, sir. What a year in the Michelin Pilot Challenge TCR category for the new Hyundai Veloster. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, very exciting. Very proud of the team, our drivers. Uh, you know, to see the Hyundai program continuing to grow in TCR and, and to see a brand that continues to make uh, stronger and more commitments in the motorsport community. It's It's been a lot of fun to be a part of that and it, probably especially so because it's been such a strange year with a whole bunch of new and difficult challenges that everybody's had to deal with so uh to see our guys and our team come through with sort of flying colors and perform so well under difficult circumstances uh, makes me very proud uh, the decision to go to the veloster body shape uh was marketing driven obviously because you don't get the the i30n in in the us bizarrely of course here in europe we don't get the veloster uh, n um that makes perfect sense but it, it gave you a bit of a conundrum having uh, competed so successfully with the i30n uh, beforehand how much work was involved in in making the i30n hatchback the Veloster N with that sort of two, three, four doors with two on one side, one on the other, and the hatchback? Uh, not as not as bad as you'd think. Um, the car was extremely well-developed at, at Hyundai Motorsport Germany uh, as an i30N, and they actually did the builds on the Veloster N as well. And Really, it was just building a new body shell and, and the engineering that went into that. But from there forward, they 
just bolted on the same suspension, gearbox, engine, all the running gear, everything else uh, is exactly the same as what was the i30N. So, you know, it's great, Make, made a really relevant car here in the U.S. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen, John, but Hyundai's announced they've got nine N-line and N models coming out in the next few years. And that N is that's that's their performance mark. And you, I think when you see more cars and models coming out with that N, uh, I think more race cars because uh, right you have to you have to prove you can't just say it's a performance model. I think you have to take it on a track against uh, the best of the competition that's out there and prove it. And that's something that Hyundai's been doing very well here the last couple of years, and hopefully will continue to be doing in the next uh, foreseeable future. Uh- I was amazed uh, at just what a great package. The I, I took the fastback to Spa for the ELMS earlier on this year. Johnny Palmer and I went over it. Six-speed, manual, three-pedal car. I loved it. I loved it. And it absolutely felt like a, a race car for the road. And when you've got a... A platform, Brian, that that's that is that good as a street car. They, then clearly that's got to make moving into a TCR class, which is so focused on the street car. That's that's got to make a great basis for that. Absolutely, and you know it's funny because our drivers they've done a number of media events with Hyundai, where you know the Veloster and road car was present, and then we've also had the race car out. And the thing that they consistently say is they can't believe how many characteristics those two cars share between the road and the race car. It really is uh, amazing that they've been able to <clears throat> keep the integrity of all those things together. And, you know, N is all about the joy of driving. And so, you know, when you drove that road car, you probably noticed they pay a lot of attention to the sound. There's a sport mode and you, you can get little backfires and it's got a great sounding engine. It's got a good balance and great driver feel. And when you start with that and then say, we're going to turn that into a race car, uh, you, you're not quite job done, but you're well on your way. How much of the how much of the street car carries over uh, in terms, obviously, the shell has to be the same. You've got to put all the safety equipment in. But in terms of the, of the drivetrain, um, I know that was a, there's a trick electronic diff on the on the street cars that presumably is is replaced by a, a racing diff. But but engine wise and and things like that is it is it mostly the same or is it is it fundamentally different? It's a production based engine, and so it has obviously some performance parts added. We we upgrade the induction system, the turbo, the air, the intercoolers all of those things, but it is, uh, in terms of the power output, it's not substantially higher than the road car. It's a little bit higher, but, uh, what you're seeing is, you know, the DNA of the road car mm-hmm. out on the racetrack. It is, you know, probably for all the classes, right? GT, everything TCR probably retains the most, uh, of the production car of any of them. Let's talk a little bit about the racing this year. First of all, a fantastic effort from everybody involved, um, including the teams, yourselves, everybody else, to get a season that looked 
frankly, actually, by the time we got to Sebring, all right, a bit jumbled up, but frankly, relatively normal. There was times when we didn't think that was going to happen, Brian. Oh, you're right. It was it was scary, and really, you know, hats off to IMSA starting with them creating the opportunity, the calendar, uh, finding places we could race and times we could put events on to, you know, Hyundai and, they, they, you know, their support for us was unwavering uh, through this pandemic. You you can imagine, right, when you, if you went in a normal time and said, hey, we're going to go race with no spectators and we're going to have uh, limited days on the track and all this, they'd say, well, you know, don't sign me up for that. But it's exactly <laughs> what we had to do in a lot of cases this year. And, you know, Hyundai was just never, uh, never wavered in their support of us or what we were doing. And then, you know, all of our competitors and everybody that, that did turn up and there was a lot of sacrifice. Traveling was a lot harder, uh, you know, just competing with the mask restrictions and all the testing and even working in the workshop. You know, these guys are working all day long in the workshop with masks on and we're taking their temperature every day before they come in the workshop. It's a lot of not normal things we had to do to make this work. And uh, everybody just got on with it. You know, I never heard a complaint. And that's that's really something amazing. It shows, you know, it shows that these guys are racers and, and they want to go do the job. And even whatever challenges get thrown at us, we're just going to find a way to overcome it. But I would imagine, Brian, so important, though, that that did happen we get excited about the sporting side of motor racing, but the business side of motor racing is what means the sporting side can happen. And without doing races, without being out there, in your case, you even managed to, to get some more cars out of the door, for goodness sake. So absolutely essential to get back to tracks and get back to a green flag. 100%. You know, we, we've got obligations to our drivers, to our manufacturer, IMSA does, to the teams, to their manufacturer uh, participants, that if, you know, if we just kind of rolled up the doors and said, all right, well, we'll see you in 2021, I'm not sure how many people would have been able to turn up at that point. So, you know, for everybody's survival, we understand that it was modified, that things had to change. Uh, but the fact that we got through, we put on a full championship. We did all 10 rounds that we were scheduled to do. Uh, and we, we did it in a very uh, com compelling and convincing way. And I think the on-track product never suffered. And I think that says a lot about the effort from all sides that went into making it happen. As far as the competition was concerned, um, it, you know, when you look at the final standings and say that the top three crews, well, Hyundai crews, well done to, to Gabby Chavez and Ryan Norman for winning the championship. Harry Gottsacker, Mark Wilkins uh, in second by, what, 11 points and then another five points further back, Michael Lewis and Mason Felipe. Um, you guys took the uh, manufacturer's crown as well, which Hyundai will be very, very happy about. It looks, when you look at the numbers, ah, oh, yeah, well, you know, you had a fairly easy season. Um, having watched the races, it was far from that, Brian. And you guys, you guys had to work hard, and you had to deliver and execute at every single race. Well, you know the phrase I like to say is, you know, we had to work awfully hard to get that lucky. And Very good, that's kind of, right? That's true, and I think everybody puts a lot of effort in in this sport. And the fact that we enjoyed such a successful season, I think we can look back and really be proud of that because, you know, we had great challenges from uh, Audi, from Honda, 
from Alpha. The Alpha was extremely quick this year and, and really probably due for a win very soon as well. So, you know, to have teams and drivers from different manufacturers and, and different cars to compete against and have had the season, we had sort of a dream season where we did run the tables with the manufacturer, the driver and the team championships. That's not anything that you ever go into a season, you know, expecting to happen. And, you know, I, I, I don't expect that they're doing anything other than back at the workshop right now, trying to figure out how to, how to turn the tables on us. So we're doing the same and trying to say, okay, well, how can we get better again for next year? Because they're not going to make it any easier. That's for sure. Let's talk about 2021 um, because the old adage in motor racing is um, that you're obviously only as good as your last result. That was pretty good for you guys. You got the championship as well. But also, if you are standing still, you're going backwards in motor racing. Now, in, in TCR, it's a little bit different from that because there's not that much you can do year on year. The, the regulations are pretty well set You've got a target on your back again now, all of your cars when they go out there, Brian. So what can you do to improve? What can you do to defend those titles with the likes of Audi, Honda and Alfa Romeo um, chewing on your tailpipes, as it were? Well, always things we can do better. Um, You know, it starts with just the processes in the shop, the preparation, the way we bring the cars to the track. Uh, testing and developing dampers. There's there's things that we do have some room to still develop on these cars, even though uh, the car is homologated and there's many things we cannot change. But, you know, your suspension, tuning, setup things, understanding the tire better. Michelin's going to bring a different tire for us next year. So, uh, you know, trying to be the first to adapt to that new tire or get on top of that with our with our car, I think, is going to be important as well. And, and as, in terms of that, then, when does season 2021 start? Sebring's just the weekend gone. I mean, effectively, are you already in preparation mode for, for 2021 and, and the lead up to uh, the the support race, at the four hour race at the uh, the Rolex 24 Daytona? Well, <clears throat> you know, I it's funny when the season ends. I, I did allow Sunday to be kind of the day to enjoy it and look back and say, Hey, that was a great year. But Monday morning I woke up sort of panicked about Daytona and the roar and getting ready to go again. And, you know, as, as I, I think that's what, what drives me is I don't spend a lot of time looking backwards and spend a lot of time trying to look forward. <clears throat> and, uh, we've got a lot on our plate to get ready for Daytona. Uh, we're going to have, some exciting news that's going to be announced soon that I think is going to be well-received. I think we're going to see more Hyundai customer teams and more customer cars out there racing with the Veloster N next year. So, you know, I, I'm hoping that we could see eight to 10 Velosters or oh, wow. uh, TCR cars in the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series next year, which would be really, really amazing. And, you know, that could see us with really, you know, full grids of 20 plus cars, hopefully. And, and I think Daytona is going to be interesting to see who turns up. Uh, I, I think by the end of this year, there was a lot of COVID fatigue and, yes. and the grid price fell a little bit. But we start seeing it tick back up here at Sebring. And I think people are getting ready and looking ahead. So, you know, really, I think looking forward to getting back on track. And it's it's only 
you know, sort of eight weeks away from now, we're on track to roar. And it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to imagine. And you, you pack in the holidays in there and, and some other exciting things we have going on. And uh, there's not going to be a lot of rest for, for anybody right now. I, I, I know it's been a difficult year um, for everybody. The one thing that clearly we've all missed is having, uh, you know, pr- full house spectators at the IMSA events because they always draw a good crowd. Th- that's been particularly difficult, I would have thought, for you guys because you were just building up a bit of momentum with the the car corrals and the, the owners club. Uh, and what I know about Hyundai N owners is they are as excited uh, and as emotional uh, and in some ways as evangelical about their brand as Quattro or AMG or M Sport or Alpina or, or any of the other the other brands that are, that are out there and you were just getting that going is that slightly frustrating Brian? Uh, yes and no I'll, I'll tell you a really neat story happened at Sebring so you know Sebring had uh, limited fan numbers. I think what were they allowed like 20,000 or so? 25, I think. Yeah. <laughs> 25,000. And they, they sold that out, which was, which was awesome to have some fans and, and sort of feel a little bit of that energy back in, into the racetrack. But there's a, there's a Veloster N club group uh, out of Orlando and they reached out and they said, Hey, we'd love to come down and meet you guys and come check it out. And there wasn't, there wasn't uh, tickets available. And so they drove down uh, on Thursday night. Uh, they brought uh, 30, over 30 of Loster ends from Orlando. And they came down Thursday night and they set up in the lot just outside the circuit. Wow. And we brought the drivers out uh, and we did a really cool meet and greet event and brought some t-shirts out to them. But they just wanted to, they just wanted to meet the drivers and get close. And they couldn't even get into the racetrack, John. They couldn't come wow. see the cars on track or anything. So you talk about a passionate group, right? There was 30 of them that drove two hours from Orlando just to say hi and, and show us their cars. And we did a really cool little car show and we had the drivers judge and we came up with some great prizes and Michelin Good helped us you. out with a great set of tires. So as much as, uh, you know, yes, it can be frustrating. Uh, I think things like that give me so much hope and heart for the future because there, there are great Hyundai owners out there who have really attached themselves to what we're doing and have become great fans of, of the team and, and the series and are really following it closely. Now they've got, they feel like they've got their team to root for. That's and as soon as we can, you know, I think you're going to see big car groups and, and big Hyundai presence from, uh, from the folks that own cars and, and who want to come out and cheer for, for those, for their Hyundai race cars out there. I know from talking to uh, Andrea Adamo of of, of Hyundai uh, Motorsport that there's big plans for the N brand. It, it's beginning, as I said, it's got that momentum now. Uh, and in terms of the streetcars, we're going to see more N Hyundais coming through, including an, an NSUV, um, I'm told, certainly over here in Europe. That must be really exciting for you because you guys have effectively, Brian, been in on the ground floor of all this. No, it's been incredible. And, you know, the i30N and then the Veloster N have been the first two N models. Uh, they have N-Line, which is which is sort of uh, 
a step up in 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 performance and a step up in uh, having some performance uh, aesthetic parts on the car. And then you have N, which is the full-on performance brand. And they're, they're saying in the next few years, we're going to see nine N-Line and N uh, products wow. coming out. And that, that's really great because, uh, like we talked about, you know, N is going to be on the racetrack. So the more cars they have out, the more interesting possibilities that opens up for the future for uh, different classes, maybe different types of cars that people hadn't seen yet out on the racetrack from Hyundai. I'll finish off. Um in offering the congratulations again for a brilliant season, but asking a question that a number of people on Twitter, both on IMSA Radio and, and uh, here at, uh, at Midway Motorsport have asked, what does the N stand for, Brian? That's a good question. We get asked that a lot. <clears throat> so it, it's, it's sort of a dual meaning. Uh, it's uh, developed in Namyang, uh, which uh, Namyang, South Korea is where the, all the R&D facility is and where the cars are all designed initially and then honed at the Nürburgring. And those end cars are designed in Namyang, but then they all go to the Nürburgring and they're tested extensively at the Nürburgring before they are put into production. And the cars are described as your, as an everyday race car. It's, mm. it's built like a race car, but you can drive it on the street every day. And that's, that's what the end is all about. Well, if anybody's listening to our uh, listen to our real world road test of the uh, i30N uh, performance fastback that we took to Spa, you will know that the exhaust note is very, very evocative indeed. I felt like I was driving um, a Group N or a Group A a rally car from back in the day. Brian Herter, congratulations! Honestly, that, that I know how hard it is to achieve these things. It's never, never easy. Thanks for doing it uh, in. Uh, such a, a great way as well uh, and being very honourable with the way you guys race. Best to look for 2021. And when you've when you've got some of those new bits and pieces of information to come through on your drivers and what's going on for 2021, come back and talk to us again, won't you? We'd love to, John. And just, just want to say, you know, thanks to you and the team over there. I think this year with people not being able to travel and go to the races, you know, you've played a more important role than ever in, in continuing to bring you know, sort of the the racing action into people's lives and into people's homes, and, and we appreciate what you do for us, so thank you. I've got to say, you make our job very, very easy with the excitement that you bring. Brian Herter, Brian Herter, Autosport, Hyundai, brilliant season 2020. Let's look forward to 2021. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. It's time for this. Every year we ask our very own Christmas Eve, Eve Hewitt, uh, to find us some wonderful gift ideas for you, the listener. And this year we're doing it two weeks earlier than normal because we know that uh, lots of delivery companies and couriers are taking on extra load at the moment. So things are taking longer to get to you. Uh, Good evening, Eve. Good evening. Uh, How many items do we have on your list this year? Twelve, the twelve days of Christmas, perhaps. Twelve days of Christmas. Uh, let's find out what the first one is. Our very good friend, the very talented Drew Gibson, has once again produced the calendar of all calendars. That's available for pre-order now from uh, drew-gibson.co.uk, uh, priced at forty-five pounds. And number two. 
Number two, um, <laughs> this reminded me of some old Régé Le Mans jingles, which the very old amongst us will remember, which was the castor oil uh, jingle. These are available from, this is a, a coaster actually, it's a castor oil can aged coaster, um, which is available from me and my car dot. Co.uk. I think it's available for some other outlets as well, but that's where I spotted it, and and those are great. I think those are those are fab for anybody's she shed or man cave. Uh, item number three. Number three, because who doesn't love socks at Christmas? Um, and by the way, somebody said socks are the most useful present, useless present of 2020. Well, it's winter now, so you cannot continue to clack around in your fluffy mules. Or you so, can put them on your hands. Or you put them on your hands. So, courtesy of Motorsport Magazine's shop, um, but I think they're also available from various other places. Um, they're called Motoring Leg Ends, and they're a, a various socks from, you know, there's a golf sock and there's various other bits and pieces. Also a pair of socks that says, shush, I'm watching motor racing. Uh, those are on Amazon. Um, and I'm going to post all these links afterwards, so don't worry about not getting them down quickly enough. Uh, was that number four? No, that, no, was, that three. was three. So four is next. Four is chocolate. Lovely. Because you have to have chocolate for Christmas morning before breakfast. Um, Racingchocks.com, they are based near Silverstone. And they do the filled chocolate helmets that you quite often see um, on a race, <laughs> being advertised on a race weekend. These are great. I love these. They're fab. And, and you can uh, pick your so helmets. Someone else who's a big fan of these, I know, is Mark Blundell. He's ordered oh, really? hundreds <laughs> of them. Yeah. You can't tell. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Go on. <laughs> Number five. <laughs> Sorry. Stop giggling. That, we don't have time me. for this. That was me. Right. Uh, books. Books for Christmas. Pete Lyons' Very Excellent Shadow. Uh, and David Tremaine's Fabulous uh, Jock and Rint. If you order these from Evro before the 11th of December, you can have a 40% discount by using the code Evro40. Um, I had a huge crush on Jock and Rint when I was a little girl. Um but that's that aside, um, they're both fabulous books, and I think uh, John's done interviews with both of those authors. And on does that show. apply for either book, or do you have to buy both together? No, that applies for them either. I tested it this afternoon. Excellent. Number seven, Motorsport Magazine subscription. I I love this magazine. I continue to love it. Their shop's fabulous, and we love working with them. And Later this week or early next, I will have a very special listener subscription offer. I'm just waiting for that to come through from them. So rather than rush them, um, I said, let me, let me have it when you have it, and then I'll make sure everybody else gets it. Uh, number eight. Duke Video. Now, here's one of those blind spots you have sometimes. I was thinking, I haven't heard anything from Duke. That's very odd. I wonder if they're still doing the They are still doing the video. But, of course, the race was only in September. So it's only just ready. Uh the discount code that you can use is RLM2020. Again, I'll post that um, on the website or on the Facebook page, rather. Um, and that's dukevideo.com. And you can pre-order that now. And how much discount does that give you? Uh, I am waiting to find out. But the, co the, code, the code is, is RLM2020, which I got just before I came on air. So I'd have to go and plug it in. Next. I think we've got to nine. <laughs> or nine. Um, I have just reordered a copy of the my copy. I have just reordered the hippie Porsche T-shirt from um, Full Talk Gear, 
um, which was an Andy Blackmore design because mine, um, frankly, wore out. Um, but of course, they also have the Radio Le Mans 2020 t-shirts on there, which include the Weeklo and also the masked helmet design. And you can get there by clicking on the link from the homepage on RadioLeMond.com. Uh, I can't remember what number we've got to, so carry We're on. on 10. 10. Number 10. Um, I love this. The Porsche 911 advent calendar, uh, where you open the little windows and you get the parts to make a model of a 911. Uh, there are others. Ooh. There's a there's a tractor and there's a VW bus, I think. So uh, you can get those from reichelt.com, R-E-I-C-H-E-L-T.com. They're about £40. You can get them from other places, but they seem to be a bit more expensive. Number, number 11, 11, yeah. Lapland. Ah. Lapland. At Silverstone. Um, this is cool. You get to drive around the circuit in your car, and there's a laser show and a light show, and afterwards, if you want to go to a drive-in movie, you can. It's the snowman. Um, that starts from the 10th of December. I will be bringing you a preview of that uh, in uh, a couple of weeks. Um, you can also still book tickets for the Silverstone experience. That will reopen at about the same time that Lapland starts. If you want to go and look at that, that's laplandsilverstone.co.uk. If it cancels for any reason because of COVID, you will get your money back and all of the FAQs are on there about the things you might be worried about. And number 12. Number 12, I've left the best till last. Um, Croftandcole.com, that's Tom Onslow Cole and Rebecca Jones. They will deliver you your Christmas tree, your wrapping paper and everything else that you need. It's plastic free. Uh, Delivery start on the 24th of November until the 21st. And um, I'm going to need a code for this, which I'll get from Rebecca. With um, every Midweek Motorsport listener's order, they will throw in a free £12.99 candle, which will also make a lovely gift for somebody. And we want to support the people that we like. And they've already sold... uh more than last year I believe uh, yes and they're also donating some trees to Mission Motorsport families fantastic. Uh, with thanks to um, Drew Gibson wonderful so those are the 12 items you'll yes. have the link of those on the uh, Listeners Collective on Facebook yes. and they'll be on the I website w- as well super I will t- yes I will send you the transcript of all of that and you can put it up I have two non present ideas mm-hmm. one of which is that sacred coffee are about to send me a special offer for people to stock up on coffee before christmas because why wouldn't you and the other thing is that if you, well, you go might to be inviting pop- nick damon around he drinks a ton well of then stuff. you definitely need more coffee yes or joe bradley in which case you need some tregothan and tea um if you go to the porsche newsroom that's uh, newsroom.porsche.com you can download all of the posters from the imsa 2020 season free of charge so not really a present, but still great. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Eve. Uh, and uh, we'll do this again next year. <laughs> we will undoubtedly do it again next year. And you have no idea about uh, how much work goes into that. And thank you, thank you, thank you to uh, everybody who's been involved in that. Just a few ideas. And remember, f- the vast majority of those people are people who support us here at Radio Show Limited. We're on Stars on 45, uh, Midweek Motorsport Series 15, episode 45. Can and I promote some, more, um, promote some more uh, f- seasonal things? 
Of course, of course, you may. Yes, because uh, December is traditionally time for our Man of the Year show. Per, I think we have to say Person of the Year now. Person don't of we? the Year, and also end of season things of the year. Can we just say end of season show? End of season show. Uh, So on December the 2nd on Midweek Motorsport, we'll be asking all of our team to nominate uh, the people they want to win in each category. And then on the 9th, voting will open for you, the listener. And uh, December the 16th, that's the day where we will have the big reveal of all the winners. Okay. it was. It was suggested we had a new. Um, we had a new category. New yes, for category for this. Uh, and and a hero of the year as and well. In 2020, I quite like that idea. In 2020, I I think we're absolutely live uh, at the moment, and I ha- and I've just literally sprung that uh, on on Tim. But I think we'll have a discussion about that and and try and make that happen because I I like both of those those ideas. Uh, if I'm honest um so we'll work on those and let you know in a week or two's time here on uh, on midweek motorsport right where to next tim uh i'd like to do some bikes very quickly yeah let's do that uh moto gp uh it was oh. a morbidelli race win yes and we've also and which pushes them into second place in the championship we've also remember got on champion, an old bike though. I know we've got very limited time for this and, and we'll have a big review of the season with Dex and Nick. Um, we're doing World Superbikes next week after Midweek Motorsport. Franco Morbidelli on an old bike, uh, remember, on a 19 bike, not a 20 bike, won the race at the weekend. Very interesting how the old bike is in some ways worked better than the new bike. But I think we talked about it last week um, Joanne Mayer, Team Suzuki X-Star, world champion, still the chance for them to have first and second in the championship as well. Uh, Davide Brivio, I am so, so pleased for him as the team uh, manager. Just absolutely extraordinary. The smallest factory, the smallest budget, no satellite team. All right, it's a year without the big start, without... Mark Marquez, and I know it's been a weird season, but frankly, it's been great. We've still got the absolutely mouthwatering prospect of bikes, uh, MotoGP bikes, at uh, the circuit of the Algarve, Portimao, to come to settle who's second. Ah, oh, extraordinary stuff. Uh, in terms of Mortal 2 at the weekend, and they have Bastanini, 14 points ahead of Sam Laws, who rode very, very injured at the weekend to get a couple of points. Fantastically brilliant. Then another four points back, uh, Luca Marini. Uh, so uh, that's still to be sorted out. Actually, if I scroll down a bit, I should be able to tell you... Um, uh, Bezeki's not out of it either. No, not quite. Because he's on 171. Uh, in Moto 3, Albert Arenas strengthened his hold on the championship. Ayagura in second. Uh, Tony Arbolino is uh, unfortunately... Oh, no, he's not quite out of it yet. Um, I would like to see Tony Arbolino. Uh, it was a shame he, he, he didn't get a, um, the 
the better results in the last few races. But even so, uh, so still all to play for as they go to the final round. But Suzuki are world champions. And by the way, whoever paid for the um, whoever paid for the fireworks to run all the way around those lovely grandstands at the weekend. Um, it would have been nice if the TV coverage had actually shown it, but it didn't. We'll have lots more about bikes in our uh, post-season reviews with Declan and Nick in the coming weeks. And uh, our first post-season review is indeed World Superbikes, which is after Midweek Motorsport. Uh, next week, after Midweek Motorsport tonight, the Haggerty 25th Hour Episode 2, which has John Doonan, uh, which... Uh, if Fabulous. John Doonan, uh, president of IMSA. We've got more Murray from Mazda Motorsport. We've got Shea Adam and Doug Feehan as well. Doug, the project manager from Corvette. If you didn't see it on Monday Live, listen to it after this. A great amount of sense talked by Doug about GT and GT Le Mans in particular. Midweek Motorsport, Series 15, episode 45. I'd expect you, Tim. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Tim... One more two-wheeled story because the biggest or the organisers of the biggest uh, motorcycle event, uh, sporting event in December say they are keeping their fingers crossed that it will be able to go ahead next month. Uh, Phil Dos Santos, who is uh, the chairman of the organising committee of the Zimbabwe Summer Series, uh, motocross and supercross event says we're hoping to hold it it all depends obviously on what we're allowed in terms of the public and also depends if the board is open because a lot of our competitors come from zambia mozambique and south africa uh, we're in the process of doing that now so just waiting to see what's going to happen obviously uh, it's likely to happen the only thing is we'll get about 50 percent of our competitors from outside the country so unless the board is open it's going to make holding the event very difficult Uh, national championships uh, in Zimbabwe have all been uh, postponed until next year. Delighted to say that joining us after a phenomenally successful IMSA season uh, for Acura uh, with DPI and the GT Daytona uh, victories, the man at the head of HPD, its president, Ted Klaus, uh, well, first of all, Ted, got to say congratulations. That was a very good 2020 for you. Thank you so much, John. It uh, is a bit of a uh, a relief and then uh, washed over with a sense of total satisfaction. So thank you. 2020 looked like it was going to be a difficult year after the first couple of races. Was there a time when you wondered whether we would get a full IMSA season in? Yeah, I think there was a time this whole year you didn't feel like you were on solid ground and i think especially for the racing community and for people who are used to taking kind of uncertainty and turn it on its head and figure out a plan i think it made us especially anxious kind of going from week to week unprecedented that a manufacturer has had two championship wins in two separate classes in IMSA, uh, both with uh, effectively customer uh, teams, although in fairness, Penske clearly very closely linked 
to to HPD. That doesn't happen by accident, Ted. That's something that you guys have worked towards for quite some time. Yeah, it's uh, it's important for the listeners to understand uh, the arc of this achievement probably goes back five years. You know, certainly for uh, for GT Daytona, it uh, started when we were developing the NSX itself. You know, the rebirth of precision crafted performance. And actually, the the uh, championship winning GTD car is actually an Evo. So even though we won in the first year, we actually, without needing to, made uh, an Evo to make the car easier to drive, especially for the, uh, not just for the pros, but for the AMs that get in that car. And so Trent Hinman uh, in 2019, uh, part of the Drivers' Championship, and then Matt McMurray this year in 2020, uh, coming across from LMP2. So, you know, congrats to those drivers for earning it, and also congrats to our team for making uh, the NSX GT3 Evo kind of easy to extract uh, the maximum performance. Uh, and, of course, success breeds success. I'm hearing... Um, no off-season, by the way, we should say. No off-season whatsoever. Uh, 2021's already started. I'll come to DPI uh, in a moment, which absolutely underlines that. But I'm already hearing from the Sebring paddock uh, of GTD teams pretty much lining up to get their hands on an NSX for 2021. Now, clearly there are some in, in circulation, but maybe, what, five, six cars in GTD for the full season next year in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship. You confident that HPD can support those customers, Ted? Yeah, we'll see We'll see how many uh, customers step forward and want to align uh, their futures with us. But as you said, John, uh, it's going to be more cars than this year. This year, we supported the uh, two uh, Meyer-Shank cars as well as one gradient car in the sprint series so we're going to have an increase that would be delightful to have that increase and yes i'm confident we'll support them that's kind of the secret sauce of uh hpd and acura motorsports is uh you get uh, direct access to championship caliber technology and the race team which supports them and uh we we have a very simple model we want to win Therefore, since we're not the race team, right, we're supporting them, whether that's Gradient or Meyer Shank, we just have a constant conversation. How can we help you win? How can we help you go faster? And uh, try to keep it simple and uh, try to focus on excellence. I I haven't forgotten your TCR program either, because whilst you've won two championships this year, there's one championship that in inverted commas, in quotes, got away from you uh, in in the TCR. You do compete it, it, with the uh, with the Civic there as well. Um, it, it's been a, a tough season against some of the, the opposition. Anything that you can do there to... It's a, it's a tightly controlled formula, of course, in, in the Mission and Pilot Challenge in TCR. Anything that you can do there to help your teams for next year? Yeah, I think so. We've been working uh, throughout this season... Uh, really in the same way we support all classes. So TCR is no different, and our approach is the same. Uh, really appreciate uh, the patience of our uh, customer teams, Atlanta Speedworks and LA Honda World. Uh, appreciate that uh, IMSA themselves, we've been having conversations, how, how do we adjust the TCR formula 
in terms of getting back to the roots that it really should be a place to have people start their sports car careers. Mm. So if you looked at our teams, you know, we were trying to pair, you know, uh, uh, I don't think Ryan Eversley wants me to call him a grizzly veteran, but uh, a, a rather, a rather <laughs> wily, let's call Ryan the wily veteran and paired him together with, uh, uh, with Ryan or with yeah. uh, Taylor Hagler who, yeah. who came up from the TCA. So I think if we can get back to the formula of TCR and the spirit of TCR working together with IMSA and our partner teams, and then we have had a challenge because our our particular car uh, appears to be not, not the only one, but appears to be a little bit harder on tires. Yeah. So that's a discussion we've been having with our partner Michelin. And so, yeah, I I really appreciate our customer teams hanging in there with the Civic uh, TCR. It's a great car, and uh, we are focused on making that uh, uh, a championship caliber uh, program uh, next year again. You have a slightly different challenge in, in DPI for 2021 in that you've had success there with Acura Team Penske. Now you've got to replicate that with not one team but two, both very experienced teams, of course, and, and, and one in particular with Mayshank Racing, who you've already uh, had down through the years, uh, 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 had a, a relationship uh, with those guys. Wayne Taylor uh, uh, and his organisation coming on for the first time. I, I hear that they've already got the cars, uh, that they picked them up on, on Sunday after Sebring, so their 2021 has really started uh, right now. Um. There's there's no standing still here. What what additional challenges do you think you're going to have for for 2021 uh, with those teams getting up to speed with effectively what is uh, is is new cars for them? Yeah, I think for uh, you know if we start with uh, with Mike Shank and Meyer Shank, you know he's not run in the current DPI formula. Obviously, he's no stranger to Daytona prototype. So for Mike. Uh, he needs to get back in the saddle and uh, understand DPI. And we set up the program so that uh, uh, MSR and Wayne Taylor Racing, WTR, are on equal footing. And we require them to really take care of each other, uh, you know, for the benefit of Acura Motorsports. So I think Mike's going to be leaning a little bit on Wayne Taylor Racing, and uh, they've already gotten after it. Uh, like you said, we're already transferring the cars. They're communicating with each other. But then we're also looking for diversity of thought. And if you roll back all the way to the era when we were in ALMS, you know, we actually had three different teams, exactly. each with a one-car effort. So we're rolling it back to that kind of heritage, looking to earn it a little bit more uh, with some teams that have been there really since the uh, birth of, of IMSA, if you will. <laughs> Sorry, I, I guess I've got this grizzly veteran thing in my mind. Sorry, you I certainly have now, yeah. Uh, if, if somebody else came along, Ted, and and, and wanted a DPI, it's my understanding that, that, that those two teams we've mentioned have got two chassis each, although they're only going to run one, uh, as far as we know, one each. Uh, is there the... The desire, the capability, are there any other chassis in existence or would you have to go back to first principles and, and construct new or have new uh, tubs constructed if somebody else, another customer came along? And would you entertain another customer for 2021 or beyond? Yeah, we've been pretty 
clear and we've tried to be clear that uh, we're really this this effort with uh, uh, Wayne Taylor and Mike Shank that fills up our cup now. Oh, yeah. And you also have to remember that HPD uh, not only takes care of our, our partner teams in IMSA, we've got uh, very demanding partner teams across on the IndyCar paddock. So with both series uh, really going to new and challenging formulas in the future, starting in 23, uh, are, are we are not looking to support any additional BPI programs at this time. And I think that makes perfect sense uh, as well, given the the wonderful uh, the wonderful representation you've had in the past and the and the success that you've had uh, in in the past. You, you mentioned 2023 and what we called for such a long time DPI 2.0, um, LMDH. It may well be called, or it might be called something else uh, entirely. Uh, two years in motor racing, two years in the automotive industry, Ted. Not a very long way away. Uh, how? If at all, has the current situation affected the new formula in 2023? Uh, and what's what is Acura Honda's uh, idea about that? Is that something you would like to be still like to be involved with? Yes, I, I'm. You know, HPD is on the record saying that uh, we now have uh, the rules, and we are, you know, actively. Uh, investigating uh, what does it take for us, both on the technical side, you know, with with partner teams, and also on the business side. So it it uh, you know we've said that is our we have an optimistic, positive outlook on the future, and uh, we want to be Acura Motorsports wants to be racing in IMSA for overall championship victories in in North America. Uh, there's clearly kind of a hole in our resume, and <laughs> it's the Daytona 24 mm-hmm. and the Sebring 12 hours. Not that we uh, have never won at Sebring, which we have as, as HPD, but uh, those are the ju- those are the dual programs, and we've got to get back and achieve them. So anyway, the simple the simple formula for us is let's continue to earn it. Uh, in 21 and 22 with our new partner teams and behind the scenes we are putting uh, significant effort to prepare for the future and we look forward to announcing that in the future uh, together with uh, our partners. Given that, uh, does it help you obviously very North American focused with what you do at HPD but does it help you that that new top class of prototype is going to be a global formula and therefore um, Honda as a global brand, Acura uh, perhaps even with other territories could get involved and then you could look at things like Le Mans, whatever world championship is is going on. Does that help your case in saying we'd really really like to do whatever this new formula is called? Yes, yes. So it Unfortunately, John, as you say, uh, having a global program actually doesn't help us. And, <laughs> and, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't mean we aren't excited about it. And if you look at the NSX as an example, we race the NSX as an Acura branded right. product in, in North America, but we race it as a Honda product in the global series. Uh, and, uh, so that competes 
in uh, Spa 24 as a Honda. Yep. So even though it even though it complicates our life, and even though HPD has supported customer teams in the past at Le Mans and won multiple mm-hmm. times, it does complicate our life. But you know, there's a lot of things have have happened this year, and we are we have a very good relationship with our friends in Japan, and we are having these discussions, and we're always considering you know the benefit of the global series. So make a long story short, we want to compete for overall wins in North America. Uh, and we are uh, on the record as saying, we really want to race against eight other manufacturers, not mm-hmm. just eight other drivers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we, we believe this could come back to a golden age for uh, IMSA in North America. And then we are up for the challenge to talk to our friends in Japan, mm-hmm. and we have to help them understand the benefit uh, for Honda globally to be at Le Mans and in these uh, global stages, because we've kind of focused on F1 and MotoGP for our pinnacle global stages, yeah. but maybe we can have a different approach in the future. And on a on a global stage, that also, of course, is subject to the vagaries of of everything that's happening at the moment, which we we all understand. Um, turning back to IMSA, then, and we'll, and we'll finish off with a with a couple of thoughts about twenty twenty one. You haven't been involved in GT Le Mans. Um, that's a class that that you haven't been represented in. That class it is clearly under pressure at the at the moment everybody understands that uh, would you support a bringing together of the gt classes so that some form of gt3 or gt3 plus and some form of gtlm bop or G, some kind of uh, convergence, if you will, could could race in in IMSA, and should IMSA be taking the lead on something like that in terms of of a of a platform for for GT manufacturers? Yeah, I think we we have uh, shared our opinion with IMSA, and I do believe IMSA is going to take the lead on that. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in IMSA. Uh, they're looking ahead; they're trying to get ahead of it. Uh, Specifically for the GT class, the global uh, GT3 viewpoint, we believe that, you know, DPI, that should be, you know, all in professional drivers. Uh, We don't begrudge those that want to put full pro-pro combinations together in the GT class, but we want to make sure that we focus our GT3 program on supporting customer teams and on supporting the ecosystem of having amateur drivers reach that next level in their career. And so the one thing I would be looking for, similar to uh, DPI 2.0 being a global series in the future, is you could, if you could take the current NSX GT3 Evo and give uh, the Pro-Am class a chance to go and compete globally, mm. I think that would be tremendous. Mm. And so that would be a huge carrot. And so how do you keep separate kind of the pro-am and the pro-pro, but keep the underlying platform and formula, you know, highly common? Uh, so the big issue with GTLM today is it's just very, very uh, specialized and therefore very, very expensive. And uh, that kind of doesn't fit when you have a class above it that maybe is no more money and you can go for the overall wins. So I think... 
IMSA understands those pressures, and I'm, I think they're going to have a formula that makes it work going forward. Let's uh, finish off with a bit of positivity about 2021. Um, nobody, I think, listening to this show will think that um, we're just going to switch the lights back on and everything goes back to quote-unquote normal again. There's still going to be some challenges for 2021, but are you excited? Are you invigorated? Uh, still about 2021 and and the new IMSA season. And let's be honest, it's it's eight and a half weeks to the raw now. Sorry about that, to remind you about that, Ted. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm, I am so excited and I'm always excited about the way uh, the racing community, even though it looks, it might look like it's the same formula, even for those teams that it is the same formula, there's a new challenge. And the, the thing that I love about racing is, it's, it has an absolute winner and an absolute loser every week. And you get to reset. And so we are taking on these new challenges, uh, new customer teams with GTD, new customer teams with DPI, and the challenge of TCR. And it all starts anew, and you're one year smarter, <laughs> one year more wise, and you can avoid making those uh, same mistakes. So... Yeah, everything starts anew, and like you say, it's already started, and it's coming fast. So, uh, unfortunately, it's a big shout-out to all our partner teams because they're going to be wrenching over the holidays, and uh, same thing for our HPD people. There's going to be a lot of work over the holidays, and uh, I don't know. I think we have a lot to be thankful for. So, as we come into Thanksgiving, uh, big appreciation to IMSA, to you, John, and the whole staff, and uh, we got 2020 in the books. And we get it right, and we're looking ahead to 21. Uh, I, I love your tagline, less talk, more drive. You could add less talk, more drive, and always moving forward, ra- always racing, always learning to that as well. Ted, thank you very much for joining us. Congrats again on a wonderful, wonderful set of achievements in in 2020. And best of luck for you and all the teams, all your partner teams for 2021. Thank you. Thank you, John. Tomorrow night uh, on uh, RS1 at 8pm, it's time for the Toro Radio Show. And this week they're joined by British GT driver Angus Fender to talk about his season and how he's filling his time over the winter, presumably uh, on the simulator quite a lot. Also news of the uh, 2020 Assetto Corsa DLC, which uh, adds Imola to the game for the first time. Uh, great to hear um, what take. Uh, Klaus was saying there don't forget uh, a chance for you to hear again our Haggerty 25th hour very interesting and very similar comments on Monday by Doug Fian from from Corvette Racing worth a listen that comes next Uh, we started with some breaking news about brakes Uh, here's some breaking news uh, that has just come out of Indianapolis uh, following a successful debut in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, we will welcome back Era Motorsport to the series in 2021 to contest the Rolex 24 at Daytona in the LMP2 class. Kyle Tilley and Cole driver Dwight Merriman will be joined by Ryan DL and Paul Loop Shatter. That is a pretty solid lineup uh, and. Uh, A number of people uh, have been sort of hinting that this 
might happen. Ryan DL says, I'm absolutely ecstatic about joining Aero Motorsport. Really impressed watching their first IMSA season in 2020. I can tell between Carl and Dwight they're putting everything into making this programme as strong as possible. And don't forget, Paul Loop Shatan, well, I mean, you, you would say, Tim, really, he was the poster boy for the ELMS, came up through the uh, prototype challenge cars, effectively, and has two championships in ELMS, I think, yes? Uh, yes, in the LMP2 yeah. class he's got two. I don't know if he got any others. but I think yeah, he got two a PC LMP2 category titles. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Aero Motorsport and he's only 29. Then, uh, he is only 29. First to sign up, or at least one of the first people we're talking about, about Daytona 2021. Thanks to all of our guests this evening and to the responsible adult for the Christmas presents. And that will be uh, all. All those links will be tweeted on the Radio Show Limited uh, listeners collective, and you'll hear that again. We'll break that out for you as well. Coming up next, the Haggerty 25th hours, but there's no time to explain because the Llama is off to catch up with Master Chef Professional. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.